Do you guys feel, do you guys feel good? Yeah? I know many of you guys actually finished a long test today, right? And it's raining outside a little bit, so you might be like feeling a little meh, right? But I hope you guys are excited for the word tonight. And one thing I have to say is, Yante, you guys are spoiled, okay? <laughs> because you guys get to see Pastor Marcus like so many times, and you guys are spoiled and blessed. And so I hope, um, I hope you guys are excited for tonight's amazing word. And so let's just give a warm welcome to Pastor Marcus Corpening. That was awkward. Okay. (laughs) You guys are spoiled. You guys are spoiled because you get to have me. Wow, that sounds really, um, mm, that's very, it sounds very humble, right? That's right, Pastor Aaron. How you guys doing? Wow. Wow, you guys don't sound that good. How you guys doing? Feeling good? Feeling great? Why don't you tell your neighbor, say, I'm feeling good, feeling great. How are you? Actually, can I get another? Do we have, we only have one? All we got is one of these music stands. That's all we got. Okay. All right. All right. Man, I'm so excited to be here again. I think, yeah, you guys have seen my face a lot this semester. You saw me at the beginning, the first large group. How many of you guys were blessed? I mean, I was blessed. I preached. No, but. (laughs) And then uh, at the Emmaus retreat. How many of you guys went to the Emmaus retreat? Okay, so a lot of you guys know who I am. If you don't know, my name is Marcus Corpening. I'm the campus pastor at New Philadelphia, Itaewon. And so how many people attend Itaewon here? That's right. That's right. We start off small, but we grow very quickly. Just watch. Oh, no. But uh, and then I'm from North Carolina. That's right. UNC Tar Heels finally got one in Emmaus. Finally got one. And so I'm here tonight and I really feel like what God's placed on my heart is for you. It's for me. It's for everyone. I want to talk to you today about confidence. I said confidence. Everyone's like, mm. <laughs> yes, close it. Let's leave. Let's go to Achimnamu. Come on. No, but I want to talk to you guys about confidence. Uh, how many of you guys went to the New Philly retreat? <laughs> woo! Ow! That's, I guess no guys went because <laughs> that was a very high pitched woo. Or maybe that was the guys. No, but uh, God moved powerfully at, at that retreat, and God's been moving powerfully throughout this semester here in Emmaus. I've been hearing about all the testimonies, everything that has been happening here, and your lives have been getting transformed. And, but one thing that you need to know, and one thing that God wants to really instill in you is confidence. Because confidence, conf- if you are confident in who you are in God, confidence will equal boldness. If you're confident, then it's so much easier for you to be bold when God calls you to do something. And bold people, they see supernatural change. Bold people, they see miracles. Bold people, they they see their families change. They see their campus change. Bold people, God uses. You know, in Acts chapter 4, when it talked about the apostles, it said that they were unlearned men. The word in the Greek was idiotes. They were called idiots. 
but they were bold. Now, no one here is an idiot. Amen. <laughs> I, I hope some of you didn't say amen. We're going to talk about that today. But I want to talk about confidence because it's just so important in the Christian walk. And a lot of people don't talk about it because we confuse confidence with cockiness. You know, someone that you think is cocky, actually, maybe they're more confident. And it's because we don't have a clear understanding of confidence and not just confidence, but the opposite. Really what keeps us from being confident, which is insecurity. I want to talk about confidence, but really today I want to talk about insecurity. Mm. I want to tell you, I struggle with insecurity all my life. I'm 27. (laughs) And for 27 of those years, insecurity has been something I've struggled with. Ever since I was a little kid, whenever I was, whenever I first learned to read, I learned how, learned how to read when I was three years old, and because my, my mom would just read me books all the time, and then after a while, I started recognizing it, and then I just started reading. My mom was like, "Wow, you're kind of smart, you know." And then I'm three years old, and I learned how to read, and all my family's like, "Wow, Marcus, you're a genius. You're going to get rich and buy everyone a huge house." I'm three years old. I have no idea what they're talking about. I'm five years old. I go to school, and now all of a sudden I'm taking, like, tests, you know, like write out capital A, little a, B, little b. But I'm freaking out with anxiety because I'm thinking if I fail this test, my family's going to be poor forever. So I had this anxiety in regards to my studies all throughout school. Whenever I would, I would take classes, whenever I would do anything, I was always so anxious and so fearful. And I felt this kind of heaviness over my studies. I was insecure about my looks, very insecure about my looks. I remember whenever I was born, um, my uncle, he would ride me around. Because when I was born, I know right now I look like a nice caramel brown. You know what I'm saying? Caramel cappuccino. That's what I like to say. Um, but when I was born, I was really, really, really light. Um, I remember my uncle, they, they thought that I wasn't the right baby. So like my uncle goes in and, you know, and, you know, Rex, there's there's nothing wrong with being white. There's nothing wrong with being white. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. That's, it's a blessing. It's a blessing. But, but I'm black. So my, my uncle comes in and he sees me and he's like, that's not him. That's a white baby. That's not him. And I was like, you know, I didn't understand because I was like, you know. And then I I get older and I was um, born premature. And so because I was born premature, my head developed before the rest of my body did. And so I looked like one of those bobbleheads. So like I was just like, you know, like seriously, my head was like massive. Like, it, I have neck pain as a child because my head was so big. And so I was insecure about the size of my head. And it did not help that my family called me Big Head. You know? They called me Helmet Head. Don't feel sorry for me. I'm set free. I'm healed. And then I remember puberty happened. The dreaded puberty. And I got my first pimple. And I got it right here. And that thing, it, 
it looked like I had a hand coming out of my face. And it happened to be in the wintertime, so my fa- so not my family. My family didn't. But anytime I had a pimple, my mom, for some reason, always had to pop it. Like, I would, like, go through, and she would, like, grab me and wrestle me down. And then she would. So it made me insecure. And then I went to, I remember, clear as day, that first pimple. It was winter. And I go into algebra class. And there was this one black girl named Marcrish. And another girl named Shaniqua. That was their real names. (laughs) And I walked in, right? And I walked in and, like, I'm trying everything I can to, like, hide it, right? I'm like, hey, what's up, everybody? How's it going? Like, you know? Like, I got my books up and I'm like. (laughs) But at some point, I dropped it and they saw it and they went, (gasps) Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. So I was so insecure, so insecure. I was insecure throughout all of high school. I remember I was so afraid of girls because the first girl I asked out, she said no, like, and it was public. I think I told that story at Emmaus multiple times. It was eighth grade cafeteria. I told my cousin I liked this girl named Abby and packed cafeteria, and Abby's on the other side of the room, and he's like, hey, Abby. Everyone stops talking. Marcus likes you. Do you like him? Everyone's waiting to hit. Listen, everyone's like, oh, snap. (laughs) Silence all of a sudden. No. (laughs) Don't feel sorry for me. This is not about me. It's about you and Jesus. So I was insecure. I insecure all throughout college. Um, you know, I, I remember, like, every relationship I was in, I was so jealous because I was so afraid that they would find someone better and break up with me, right? So, you know, like, you know, I'd be in, like, English class with my girlfriend, and, you know, and some guy would walk up. Let's say his name was Matt. That's not his real name, but some guy. I don't remember because I've forgiven him. <laughs> but some guy walks up, and he's like, you know, it just says, hey. He says, hey to me. Hey, I'm like, hey, what's up? You know, he says, hey to her. She's like, oh, hey. I'm like, oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. That hey was a little too long. You added a little hey at the end of that. You know, I was so jealous I because I was so insecure. Look in the mirror and hate the way I looked. And then even when I became a Christian, there was this constant insecurity in my walk with God. Always feeling like every time I come before God, I need to repent for something because he's going to be angry at me. He's mad at me. God is just sitting up on his throne with all the thunder and lightning, and he's holding a lightning bolt, just waiting for me to sin so he can strike me down. So I didn't want to pray. don't want to come before him. Insecurity. Insecurity is defined by a lack of confidence or security. The state of being unguarded or not sustained. Not being firmly fastened or established to be deficient in assurance. I'll say that again. Insecurity means to be deficient in assurance. I want you to open up your Bible. Turn to Proverbs chapter 3, verses 19 to 26. This is a verse that talks about confidence. So we're going to read that. And then I'm going to talk to you more about insecurity. 
Proverbs 3, 19 to 26. And we're going to visit this verse later on, but I just want to read it so you know where we're going with this. The Lord, by wisdom, founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. By his knowledge, the deeps broke open and the clouds dropped down the dew. My son, do not lose sight of these. Keep sound wisdom and discretion, and they will be life for your soul and adornment for your neck. Then you will walk on your way securely, and your foot will not stumble. If you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. Do not be afraid of sudden terror or the ruin of the wicked when it comes, for the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being caught. Amen. Let me pray for us. Let's bow our heads real quick. Father, I thank you for Emmaus. I thank you for this powerful ministry. And I thank you for every single person, every college student, every student here in this room. God, every person in this room is powerful, God, because they're empowered by the Holy Spirit. So, Holy Spirit, we ask for you to come and bring revelation. Open up the, open up the mind. Open up the heart today, God, for us to see ourselves more clearly. For us to see ourselves and see you, God, in the way that you see us. Holy Spirit, come right now. Just fill this place with your presence. Lord, we thank you that you want to break us free from insecurity. And to establish us in your confidence. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Insecurity. I know as I talked, you guys were like, aw. And some of you are like laughing because it was funny. But I'm sure a lot of you, almost all of us struggle with insecurity to some degree. Almost all of us, when we look in the mirror or when we think about certain situations, all of us struggle with insecurity in one degree or another. Whether in your work, your family life, your relationships, your self-image, your ministry. But the one thing I want you to know as you leave today, the one thing I want you to know is that insecurity is chiefly a problem with revelation. If you have an insecurity problem, if you're insecure, you have a revelation problem. You don't have an image problem. You don't have a situation problem. You have a revelation problem problem. Everyone say revelation. Revelation, that means something that has been revealed to you, something that was hidden, but is now revealed. And see, many of us, we have all these different ideas as to what causes insecurity. Oh, well, this happened to me when I was five years old, and this is why I'm insecure. This happened to me when I was six. That's why I'm insecure. This happened to me last week. That's why I'm insecure. But really, the issue is revelation. And there's three different types of insecurity that manifest. And so we're going to go over each three. If you're taking notes, you should take notes. I think this message is going to set a lot of you free. It's going to set all of us free. It's going to set me free as I speak it. Because it was setting me free as I was working through it. But even as it goes out, I know it's going to set each and every one of us free to a deeper level. The first type is physical or relational insecurity. You put those two together. Relational insecurity is any insecurity that gets in the way of you relating to other people. It can be, it usually manifests physically with issues of your body image, but it can also be emotional. Insecurity, this kind of insecurity comes from when your revelation of other people is greater than your revelation of God. 
See, many of us, we have this issue of, of feeling insecure when we're around other people, right? You know, you see that person or you're around in a large group of people or some issue comes up and all of a sudden you start thinking about yourself a lot. You're just wondering, even when you wake up in the morning, you're, you're thinking about what am I going to wear? Got to make sure to put makeup on. I got to make sure to do this. I got to make sure to look this way. For guys, you're like, like, well, I don't, I don't think about what I wear when I walk outside. You know, I look good. But then, no, you're in the gym 24-7. Or you, when you look at yourself in the mirror, you're always thinking, man, I need to lose here. I need to fix this. I need to get this in order. You don't tell anyone, but that's what you're thinking. That's insecurity. Physical. And it gets in the way of our relationships with other people. Maybe it's emotional insecurity. You're always just feeling up and down, up and down. Anytime someone comes around you that you don't like, you start feeling fearful. Or maybe when anything happens, you start getting angry. And usually it's because our revelation of other people is greater than our revelation of God and who we are in God. That's the first time. You know, uh, I was looking up some I was looking up some things about about uh, insecurity in terms of physically. And I came across, across this TED talk by this woman. Uh, I forgot her name just now, but she was a she's a model, a Victoria's Secret model, I believe. And she was doing a TED talk about how she was saying the title of it was like image does not matter. Take it from a model. <laughs> it was like if anyone I can speak about it, I guess it's her, you know. And she said she put out some statistics, 53%, this is in America, 53% of American girls at age 13 are unhappy with their bodies. By the time they turn 17, it's 78, it's 80%. And I think actually that applies to a lot of guys too, maybe when they get a little bit older, unhappy with their bodies. It, you know, actually models are the most physically insecure people. You look at them and you're like, man, they're so good looking. And they're, they're looking in the mirror like, I hate my face. <laughs> Actually, there was a guy who went to my high school. His name was Doug. I won't say his last name. But he was this really tall guy. Like, you know, I don't like, like dudes or anything, but he was hot. <laughs> that may make some of you guys feel uncomfortable. I don't care. I was like, what the, like what? They carved this dude from stone? Like what? You know, like he was just like this, um, and like, and he walked like he always on clouds. He's like, wrist motion and everything just. I'm like, what's up with this guy? Come to find out he had signed a million dollar contract with uh, Ralph Lauren. And then I go, I go to the mall to buy some cologne because, you know, at, in high school, I'm insecure about not just my body, but the way my body smells. So I'm like, you know, I'm going to get that new polo blue. You know, it smells real good. I go in and I see him. He's the new face of polo blue just staring at me like. I was like, are you serious? Like, and then 
So I'm like, man, this guy has the life. Like he flies to New York on the weekends, does the model shoots, parties it up, then comes back and he's a star player on the basketball team. And he's like the person I want to be if I was white and tall and made out of stone. I was like, man. (laughs) And then I come to find out this guy is totally depressed. He's a cocaine addict because he has to continue to do drugs because he hates the way he looks. And, and so he, can, he has to get high in order to feel better about himself. I'm like, what are you? That's because insecurity affects us all physically, yeah. You know, you know you've seen those, the, the Dove campaign. You, you saw, like, the YouTube clips and stuff, like the, uh, the, you know, like, tell me what you look like. And then they draw themselves. And then, and then, then someone else comes in. And, oh, she was beautiful. She had eyes like the sun. Her hair was like gold. I'm like, you're describing Jesus, not her. (laughs) And uh, and then they draw her up and they show her and they're like, this is what you really look like. Well, Dove also did this other campaign where they they uh, did more plus size models. And then I read this because, you know, because they didn't there's been this backlash against all these models that are anorexic or struggle with anorexia. And I I came across this study that just came out recently, and this is crazy. It actually says that plus-size models decrease women's self-esteem. Actually, the study came out. It came out from the Arizona State University, the University of Cologne or Cologne in Germany, Erasmus University in the Netherlands. And they said that, that... Ads featuring plus-size models cause women who are either normal weight or overweight to feel just as bad, if not worse, about themselves. It said that the study found that women, regardless of their size, when they looked at the plus-size models, they saw areas in themselves that they didn't like. That they were, that they saw, they, when they looked at the, the not the plus-size, when they looked at the skinnier models, they saw areas that they felt like they needed to fix in their own selves. Man, I'm not like that. I'm not like that. But then when they looked at the plus-size models, they saw areas and they were like, well, I'm like that. I look just like that. And so this campaign that was supposed to help people's self-esteem actually decreased their self-esteem. Insecurity. You know, I, I found that out, you know. I, I started going to the gym, working out. So I look at these bodybuilding magazines, and I'm like, man, I suck. <laughs> but then I look at the magazines of the guys who look just like me. I'm like, I look just like that. <laughs> man, I suck. I was insecurity. And it comes because our revelation of other people is greater than our revelation of God. Many of us are experts in other people. We're experts in what God says about someone else. And we're novices in what God says about us. We know we can look at someone and say, man, they're beautiful. Man, they're awesome. Man, they're so amazing. And then when we look at ourselves in the mirror, we can never say it. Because our revelation of who someone else is is greater than what our revelation of God and of who we are. The second insecurity is situational insecurity. Situational insecurity is when you're always feeling like your life is not secure. Your finances, your health, your relationships with people, everything, it feels up and down, up and down, up and down. 
you know, studies say that the biggest killer of people nowadays is not cancer, it's not AIDS, it's not drugs, it's stress, it's worry, it's fear, it's anxiety. I personally have struggled with this so long, so much to the fact that I was having night sweats, meaning that I would go to bed at night. And because I was taking in all the stress and worry and anxiety about what didn't happen and what was going to happen the next day, and I would literally sweat in my sleep. Many of us, we don't, maybe we don't do that, but still and yet we have this feeling where we're walking around always thinking that something bad's about to happen. We feel like, you know what, my career, my calling, all these things, they're, I don't feel so sure about them. My family, you know, we feel so insecure re- regarding the things that are happening all around us. And situational insecurity comes from when your revelation of evil and your revelation of your circumstances and perceived destruction is greater than your revelation of God. In his goodness and his ability to protect you. You know what it's like to have that kind of situational insecurity where you always feel like your circumstances are going to go downhill? You know, I was looking up what what are some chronic worry and emotional stress. I was looking it up. It, it actually causes health problems. Some of you are like, I don't worry about anything. I remember when I was in school, I was I was so anxious and so worried about so many different things that I would just drink or I would do drugs. I was always looking for this out. And then as I got older, I noticed that there's I was starting to have health problems because I had so much insecurity. Um, and then the last insecurity is spiritual insecurity. Spiritual insecurity is when we're always fearing that we're going to fall into sin. We're always afraid that the temptations that are around us, we're always, all we see is, when we look around, all we see is the temptation to fall into another trap of lust or anger or unforgiveness or addiction. We look around and all we see are more and more opportunities to fall into our old ways. And so our spiritual walk feels insecure. And it's when we have a greater revelation of sin. A greater revelation of sin than than God's grace and keeping power over our lives. How many of us know what it's like? You know what it's like to feel insecure in these ways? This always happens when I come to Emmaus. Like we, we laugh a lot the first five minutes. <laughs> we feel insecure about our, our physical appearance, about our relationships with other people. We feel insecure about our circumstances, insecure about our spiritual walk. And actually, insecurity, it, it causes two responses. Insecurity, it causes two responses, and you know these pretty well. Um, Scientists call them fight or flight responses, right? So anytime you start feeling insecure, some people, when they get insecure, you know it because they're the guys that are like, what's up? You know, they puff out their chest, their voice gets a little louder, you know, 
it's that person when you're doing that assignment and all of a sudden you guys have a disagreement and they start yelling. It's like we weren't yelling this entire time, but now you are at like Super Saiyan mode. You know, it's fight or flight response, or you can, in, in the Bible, it's better termed as a strive or shrink back response. You either, stri- you either strive forward or you shrink back. So some of us, when we feel insecure, we strive forward. I'm going to try harder. I'm going to do more. I'm going to, I'm going to push through this wall to show that I'm not insecure. But then some of us, when we feel insecure, we just shrink back. We isolate ourselves. We become more and more quiet, more and more reserved, and then we just hide it. But both of them are are wrong ways to deal with insecurity. See, because insecurity, like I said, it's a revelation problem. Therefore, insecurity is only solved by revelation. It's not by gaining new insight or knowledge, but it's actually only solved by gaining a new and greater revelation of God. Of who God is, of where God is in your life and what he's saying over you. Those are the only things that solve revelation. So I'm going to get real practical with you. I will solve not revelation, but solve insecurity. I'll give you three. I'm going to give you three quick steps as to how to deal with insecurity. First off, you have to admit that you're struggling with insecurity. In any of these ways, you have to admit. Paul said it like this. He said, when I am weak, then I am strong. But Paul had to first admit that he had weakness. Many of us, we, we, we shrink back so much that we, we try to hide our insecurity. Or we, we strive forward so much that we try to act as if it doesn't exist. It's overpowering us or we're trying to overpower it. But both of those responses are wrong. You first have to admit, God, this is where I struggle with insecurity. The second, you've got to bring your weakness before God in prayer. When you pray, that's when you're healed. When you bring your things before God in the secret place. And then the third thing, and this is actually the most difficult one. Because admitting our weakness, most of us are really good. I think that's why everyone was so silent, you know, because we can admit where we're weak. We can admit where we feel insecure. Praying it before God, just saying, you know what, okay, I'm going to pray. That's an easy step. But the third step is so hard. It's receiving God's affirmation and his strength. I realize in my life, I've trained myself. I've learned how to admit where I'm weak. And I've even learned how to pray before God and tell God where I'm weak. But then when God starts speaking and starts saying, no, now you're strong, that's when I have a problem. So I'm going to give you some keys. I gave you some steps. Now I'm going to give you some keys. You ready? Here's the biggest key to breaking free of insecurity. Get over yourself. (laughs) The biggest key to getting over insecurity is to get over yourself. Turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 12. We're going to look at two verses, verses two to three. I'm going to I'm going to go through. I'm going to give you some other Bible verses throughout as well. 
And by the end of this, you're going to be stronger. When you're there, say, I'm there. It says, Romans 12, 2 to 3, it says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. See, the issue with insecurity is actually your mindset. It's actually the way you think. So you got to be transformed by having your mind renewed. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's good will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. That's his affirmation over you, right? For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. See, Paul says right here, you know what? You got to renew your mind. You've got to change the way that you think. And then you'll receive his affirmation and strength. But here's what I want to command you to do. Don't think about yourself more highly than you ought. So when I used to read this passage, I always thought, oh, I guess that means I need to stay humble and not think of myself as being awesome. That's not what the Bible's saying. It's okay for me to think of myself as awesome. You know, turn to your neighbor, tell him, say, I'm awesome. Right now, there's no, there's no conviction for that. I'm awesome. I'm awesome. I'm awesome right now. I'm still thinking about my insecurities. I'm, I'm, I'm awesome. <laughs> he says, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. The word more highly in the Greek is the word hupofroneo. Everyone say hupofroneo. See, I just taught you some Greek. Come on. Hupofroneo is, is a compound Greek word. Hupo means more or over. The word phroneo in the Greek actually means to think. So literally what that word means is don't overthink. So what Paul is saying, he's saying, do not think of yourself too much. Do not be overthinking. You're always so wrapped up in your head. And because you're always thinking about yourself. Me, 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 me. What's going on with me? Wait, how do I look? What's going on? What's going on in this situation? See, overthinking is the cause of insecurity. See, insecurity causes you to think of yourself more than you should. Insecure people can't receive affirmation from God or from anyone else because they're constantly replaying in their minds those negative words, the negative outcomes, the negative things that could possibly happen. We're constantly overthinking about what may happen to us. And so when God speaks a word of affirmation to us, it doesn't get in because we've got the soundtrack already playing. You know, if you're playing music and someone else starts playing other music, you don't understand anything that's being played. You know, sober judgment, he says, think of yourself with sober judgment. That word literally means to view yourself with self-control. What that means is that you need to self-control is the fruit of the spirit. So it means that you need to you need to see yourself. In the way that God sees you, spiritually minded. 
It doesn't mean that you see yourself in pride and it doesn't mean that you see yourself in despair. It means that you see yourself with self-control. Let's get let's get practical. Let's get real practical. Let's talk about seeing let's talk about this spiritual seeing yourself with self-control and not overthinking in regards to relational insecurity. The key to breaking through relational insecurity is not just getting over yourself, but it's seeing yourself and others in the spirit. Seeing yourself and others the way that God sees them. See, the problem with relational insecurity is that our revelation of other people is greater than our revelation of God and who we are in him. So the only way you get set free from having those insecurities is to have a revelation of who God is and who you are. There was a story in first Samuel where, where first, where Samuel, where there's a guy named Saul. Now Saul was awesome. Okay. Saul, they says that when they found Saul, Saul was tall. He was good looking. He was anointed. His last name was David O. You know, he was, he was just, he was a model. (laughs) I can pick on David said Saul was awesome. It said that when people saw Saul, they're like, oh, he's going to be the king. Look at him. He's been carved out of stone. (laughs) Samuel goes up to him. The Lord says, this is the one you anoint. He anoints Saul. But the problem with Saul was that Saul was insecure. Saul feared what people thought. Saul feared about, he feared failure. He feared circumstances. And so Saul ended up being rejected as king because of his insecurity. Insecurity will keep you from your destiny. So after that, the Lord rejects Saul. He says, you know what, Saul, man, Saul is off the hook, but he looks so good and everything, but Saul ain't it. Samuel, go find me someone else. Go to Jesse. Go to Jesse's sons. And in 1 Samuel 16, verses 6 to 7, it says that he walks in and he sees the first son, Eliab. He sees him and it says that Saul says, Samuel says in his heart, Surely the Lord's anointed is before me. This must be the one. Why? Because Eliab was tall. He was good looking. He was the man. Mm. But the Lord speaks to Samuel and he says, do not look on his appearance or the height of his stature. Because I have rejected him. See, the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. See, Samuel was seeing the king and seeing God's chosen in the same way that he had saw Saul. He saw Saul as tall and good looking and handsome. He sees Eliab tall, good looking and handsome. And he's like, this must be the guy. But God says, hold up. That's not the standard by which I do things. See, God doesn't look at the outer appearance. I don't care how dressed up you get. I don't care how great you look. I don't care what you got going on. You know what I'm saying? For some reason, like, our pants get tighter and tighter. But our identity in Christ gets looser and looser. Our style is so much more, you know, mm, we look good. But then before God, we're so insecure. That's not the standard that God looks at us at. He doesn't look at, a, at you and say, you know what? 
mm, I like what I see on the outside. God's standard is not based on the flesh. God's standard is based upon his calling and his choice. In 2 Corinthians 5, 6 to 7, it says, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. Meaning we regard no one according to what they can do by their own strength. He says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. We love quoting that we're a new creation. But you'll never know that anyone is a new creation if you don't start seeing them by the spirit of God. You don't know that you're a new creation if you don't start seeing yourself the way that God sees you. You know, what you have to start doing is you first have to start learning to see people the way that God sees people. And you've got to then start and also start seeing yourself the way that God sees you. And then you make it even more practical for you. You have to learn how to give and receive affirmation. When someone gives you a compliment, how do you react? Thank you. Uh, When's the last time you've given someone an affirmation? You know, insecure people are unable to give or receive genuine affirmation. They're either giving it out of envy or self-loathing. You know, man, that's so, you're so awesome. You, yeah. Great job, bro. Great job. Or it's like, man, you're so awesome. You're just, can can I wipe my my feet? Can you wipe your feet with my hair? Can I just, can I do something for you? Can I cook you dinner? Like, you're so awesome. We either have this self-loathing aspect or we're envious of other people. Man, you got to get off Facebook. Man, Facebook Facebook is what causes Facebook. It just continues to perpetuate it. Why? Because when you're on Facebook, you're watching everyone else live while you're just sitting there. And then all of a sudden you're sitting there and you're just and you're thinking, man, their life is so much better than mine, man. And then when you then when you walk up and talk to them, you're giving them affirmation about what they did. But it's not because you were so happy for them. It's because you felt so bad sitting there watching them live, you know. I did that yesterday. (laughs) Well, let's not talk about giving people affirmation. What about God? When's the last time you gave God genuine affirmation? When's the last time you came up to God and said, God, you know what? I love you with my whole heart. God, you're so amazing. God, you know what you did in my life last week? That was off the hook. Man, God, the way that you get, I was in the back of the line at the pizza shop, but you opened up the Red Sea for me to get up to the front. When's the last time you gave God genuine affirmation? You told him how awesome he was, but not because you felt forced to do it. Not because you knew it was the right thing to do, but because inside of you, you knew that that's what you wanted to do. You know what we call that? We call that worship. And when's the last time you heard him affirm you? When he sits and says, you know what? You're awesome. You you look awesome. The hairs on your head, I put them there. That nose that you look in the mirror and hate, I crafted that with my own hands. 
the fact that you're 5'8", but you wish you were 6'10", Marcus. I did that by my own providence because I want you to ride every roller coaster. No, when God starts telling us we're beautiful, then we start squirming. We get a prophetic word that God loves us from, you know, he sees us, he knows us, he loves us through and through. And I don't know. But when you make it a practice to affirm God and be affirmed by him, then all of a sudden you're strong enough to genuinely affirm others. And then when, and then when you do that, you can make it a practice to affirm someone every day. I want to encourage you to do that. Make it a practice to affirm God and affirm someone else each day. Genuinely. Because, see, when you do that, what begins to happen is insecurity begins to break off of you. Because instead of you looking at the person next to you and thinking about how awesome they are and all these things, actually, you'll look at someone and realize, man, they really need encouragement. All this time, I thought they were like, oh, made out of stone and all this stuff. Yeah, they're made out of stone, but inside they're hollow. So they need someone to pour some genuine love into them. When you, when you affirm God and you're affirmed by him and then you affirm other people, it breaks off that relational insecurity. You stop looking at, your, looking at yourself and looking down in the mirror, but you begin to understand, I'm beautiful in God's sight. The next one, situational insecurity. How do, we, how do we break this off? We acknowledge God, and we stop sending out invites to the pity party. You just get out of the pity party. You never go there anymore. I want to tell you about a time of, of situational insecurity. In 2 Kings chapter 6, there's a story of, of this prophet by the name of Elisha. Now, I think he probably felt pretty insecure already because his name was Elisha. And he's a guy. Like, I'm sure so many people walked up to him like, what's up, Elisha? He's like, yo, it's Elisha. It's Eli apostrophe S-H-A. It's not spelled like that. I kind of ghetto-fied that just now. Elisha goes out, and he's in battle, and he's with his servant. And all of a sudden, the armies of the enemy start coming, and they're coming in multitude, and it's just them two. They're just standing there. And they're seeing thousands upon thousands of people coming towards their direction. In that moment, wouldn't you be a little insecure? You ever had a moment where you feel like everything's against you? That's what he felt like, literally. He's standing there and everyone is coming at him. And the servant's like, what's going on? Oh, my gosh, we need. And then Elisha says, listen, open up his eyes, Lord. He prays, God, open up his eyes. Show him what's going on. All of a sudden, the servant's eyes open up. And when he looks around... He doesn't just see the army that's coming against him, but then he looks to the left and to the right, and he sees thousands upon thousands of chariots of fire. All of a sudden, he realizes that greater is he who's with him than he's in the world. See, for you to break that circumstantial, situational insecurity, you need a revelation of who God is, of course, that he's alpha and omega, that he's all powerful, that he can break every chain. But you also need a revelation of where God is. And that's that God is with you. See, many times when stuff starts happening in our lives, the first thing we start thinking is that we're alone. That no one knows what's what's happening. No one knows what I'm going through. I feel all by myself. I feel so shaken. But when you open up your eyes to the fact that God is with you, it breaks all of that insecurity off. 
See, we need a revelation of who God is and where God is in the midst of our situations every day. The Bible says if God is for us, who can be against us? When's the last time you sat down and thought about the time? Judy, I, I don't know how she, she was just like in my message, in my notes. You sat down and thought about the t- last time God was with you in the midst of your trial. Have you sat down and thought about that time when you were little and you didn't know how you were going to get through that situation, but God opened the door and brought you out? Or that time where you felt like you were at the lowest of spots, that trial and chaos where God showed up? A lot of times when I feel situational or circumstantial insecurity, I begin to think that I'm all alone. But God's been showing me what he wants me to do is stop and think about when I was five or when I was Young and there was abuse going on in my family, but then God opened the door and brought me out. It's hard to be insecure when you realize that God's with you. And the last one is spiritual insecurity. A lot of us walk around with this idea that we're going to sin and we're going to fall into it again and that we're always going to make these mistakes and God's just mad at me. How many of you guys know that's a lie? James 1, 13 says, let no one say when he's tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil and he himself tempts no one. You know what James is saying in that moment is God's not waiting for you to fail. God's not sitting around waiting for you to sin. John fifteen sixteen, Jesus said, you didn't choose me, but I chose you. And I appointed you that you would be, you would bear much fruit, meaning that you would be successful in your Christian walk. Meaning that your Christian walk is not predicated on how good you walk it. It's not built on what you do. Really, it's built on the choice of God. Because if you didn't start it, it's not your responsibility to keep it. He, he chose you. He appointed you. And he's, he's there right now just empowering us to keep being successful. I used to be at a point in my, in my spiritual walk with God where every time I came before him, I was repenting. And like, I don't know, if you've ever seen the movie The Da Vinci Code? Okay, if you haven't seen it, don't go watch it. Okay, it's just garbage. But there's this one scene where there's this guy. He's like this weird dude with like the bald head and like the creepy eyes and stuff. And he's like doing all this stuff. And he has this like, he has like this thing around his leg. And like it's got like spikes in it and it causes his leg to bleed. And then he's got these like whips and like they praise, hit themselves. And every time he prays, he's beating himself up. And that's what a lot of us do. Every time we come before God, we're beating ourselves up. We, we don't have a whip. We're not that bold to get the whip with chains and spikes on it. None of us are going to be up in there. It's the first time. I think the first time I do it, I'm done. Just, Jesus, I, okay. Okay, you know what? I'm done. Uh, I'm done. I'm just, you know what? I feel sorry. I feel sorry already. But 
we don't have the whip and chains in our hands, but we, we do it with our mouths. We do it in our minds and in our hearts. We come before God and all we're reciting is how bad we see ourselves, how much we believe that we're failures. And when we come before him in our hearts, we continually are seeing ourselves as people who sin and we 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 sin. As if God looks at us as people who are prone to failure. But see, the reason God chose you, he didn't choose you to fail. He doesn't want some glorious failure. He chose you to succeed. And when he, put, he, when he died on the cross, he, Jesus didn't go to the cross just for sin. He did it for your salvation and sanctification. When Jesus went to the cross, he didn't do it so that you would have a Christian life that was defined by continually saying, I'm sorry. He did it so that you would have a Christian life that was continually defined by success, continually defined by strength continually defined by getting stronger and stronger and stronger and making other people who are insecure stronger. And then you're going out and you're seeing people who are broken down, who are in need. You know, people, everyone in the world is cognizant of their sin. Okay. When I talk to people on the street, when I talk to people in the bars, when I go do evangelism, they all know that they're sinners. The revelation of being sinful is widespread. But the revelation of being saved and healed and clean and made whole and pure and righteous. That's the revelation that no one else has but the sons of God. In Proverbs 3, he says, the Lord. He said, the Lord, by wisdom, he founded the earth by understanding, he established the heavens. By knowledge, the deeps broke open, the clouds dropped down the dew. Our God, this good God, the God that loves us, that saved us, he's the God that created the heavens and the earth. He says, don't lose sight of this. Don't lose sight of who God is. But also don't lose sight of the fact that he's with you. Don't lose sight of who you are in him. Don't lose sight of what he says about you. See, when you begin to understand that he, he loves you, that he's made you new, he's made you whole, that you're beautiful in his sight. In Song of Songs, it says, altogether beautiful you are, my darling. There's no flaw in you. And I used to never be, I used to never receive that verse for myself. I was like, that is weird. I am not like, I'm beautiful, darling. Okay, I can take beautiful, but darling, Lord. <laughs> But God spoke to me. He was like, you know what, Marcus? That's not even the part that you have trouble with. You have trouble with that there's no flaw in you. There's no flaw. There's no mistake. And there's no mistake. There's no flaw. There's no, there's no trial that's going to come upon you later that's going to overtake you. No, no. There's no flaw. There's no flaw in you. There's no flaw in my plan. There's no flaw in the story I'm writing in your life. See, when you know that, you're not afraid of sudden things coming around you. You're not afraid of the terror that comes by night. No, what begins to happen is the Lord becomes your confidence. And for someone who's confident in themselves, that'll get you somewhere. But when you're confident in the Lord, 
when he's your confidence, when the insecurity is broken because of these revelations that he gives you, nothing stops you. Your foot never stumbles. You never get caught. You can always run the race that he's calling you to run. Let's pray together.